Morning, church. So, who are you, anyway? I hope you met someone you hadn't met before. But uh, that's the question we begin with this morning. Uh, who are you? Uh, let me ask you this. Are you a troublemaker? Who are you? Okay. How many of you are seated near a troublemaker? Would you raise your hand? <laughs> wow. Okay, yeah, go ahead and do that. Point to the troublemaker near you. <laughs> okay, yes, I think we've, we've identified a few of them for sure. But I, I think about troublemakers from history. Uh, historically, we've got uh, like Bonnie and Clyde, right? They are real troublemakers. Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, and of course... The notorious Dennis the Menace. How many of you are familiar with that troublemaker? Okay, yeah, that's what I'm talking about now. And uh, there's one more group that I like to mention. Uh, let's let's put them up here. This is a group of troublemakers. Uh, when we were in Thailand in August, I lent one of them my phone, and this then became the screensaver. Uh, so there are troublemakers in this room for sure. But I'd like to add one more to that list. He's, no, it's not you, Beef. <laughs> it's actually the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. He was a troublemaker wherever he went. In fact, in 58 AD, uh, Paul was charged with starting a riot in Jerusalem. He was arrested for starting that riot and then went to trial. He was sent to Caesarea to be tried by a governor. His name was Felix. However, Felix died in office, and it was uh, two years before Paul got to trial. The new governor was named Festus. Those are rather strange names, Felix and Festus. I get that. Uh, but in the course of the proceedings, Paul exercised his right as a Roman citizen to appeal directly to Caesar. It was a bold and calculated move. He knew that he was sunk if he would go on trial in Caesarea. So he did the only thing, I believe the Holy Spirit was directing him, to appeal to Caesar. Now, uh, this kind of gives me uh, personally a chill, because just a few weeks ago, uh, we stood in Caesarea at the very place where this all actually happened. Uh, if you can read that, if we could blow that up, uh, this is an archaeological dig of Herod's palace. It was also uh, the home of the Roman governor, and this was the Justice Hall. And so they have pinpointed the fact this was the exact spot where Paul made his appeal to Caesar. It's anchored in history, folks. This isn't just something that's kind of out there. Uh, this is reality. So Acts 27 records the journey of Paul's voyage to Rome to stand before Caesar in the fall of 59 A.D., and as he got on the ship, it kind of went like this. Like this. Like this. Well, not quite like that, but... That's highly disappointing, Aaron. We worked hard on that. Where is it? No, you don't need to go get it. 
Actually, what I had was Gilligan's Island. Okay, let's try it together, okay? Let's see if we can do the first few lines, okay? Just sit right back and you hear a tale, a tale of a faithful trip. Oh, wait, oh, it suddenly magically appears! We just need to sing. Now for vote. Well, it's the second verse, but... Well, you got the idea anyway, all right? Okay, that's close enough. We'll work with that. But we want to set sail on adventure this morning in talking about hope. So we're going to join Paul on his cruise, okay? It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 27. Let me read for you. Paul warned ahead that there would be trouble. Paul, the troublemaker, saying there's going to be trouble. Here's what he said. Men, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. Acts 27.10. But the sailors thought, ah, we can handle this. we got to leave port now. Winter is coming. We have to get to Rome. Uh, let's just do this thing. And so uh, they raised the anchor and uh, sailed out. We continue, Acts 27, 14. But shortly afterwards, the weather changed abruptly, and a heavy wind of typhoon strength, a northeaster, they called it, caught the ship and blew it out to sea. Kind of picture this. They tried at first to get back to shore, but couldn't, so they gave up and let the ship run before the gale. Okay? Got this kind of picture in your mind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. Of course, this was their livelihood. This is where they made their money. This was agonizing. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. All hope was gone. These last couple of weeks, as Michael mentioned, we've been talking about hope. If you've not uh, listened in on those messages, I encourage you to, because I believe there's wonderful truth there as we encounter our world of hopelessness. Okay? Well, because the sailors were not equipped with compasses and the stars were completely covered with darkness, uh, they were in real trouble. They were in total darkness. And often I found when we are in a dark place in our lives, either spiritually, emotionally, relationally, whatever, when we're in that hopeless situation, we tend to drift. And just like that ship was carried along by the gale force winds, we also come to a point where we're just kind of carried along by our circumstances. And we're drifting. And we don't know what to do or how to do it. And so the waves beat us back and forth, and we go wherever the waves take us. That's what was happening on the ship. Our problems and circumstances can batter us back and forth, back and forth, and we wonder, will there be any end? And when things get really bad, we may eventually get to the point of despair and heave hope overboard too. 
So we got nothing except the circumstances pushing us through life. Perhaps that's how you're feeling right now in a certain specific situation in which God is bringing to your mind. You're wondering, is there any hope in this thing? And I just seem to be carried along and I have no control. I have, uh, there's just, this thing is chaos. So what can I do? What should I do in these kinds of situations when there doesn't seem to be hope and it's dark? And maybe no one even knows the struggle that's going on inside right now. Except God. He knows all about it. So what is it you're going through that has been tossing you around like a rag doll? Have you come to the point where you have thrown things out of your life You've thrown the cargo overboard and it's still dark and there still doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel. It's just plain dark. Now, remember the sailors. I think it's important as we encounter the scripture. They gave up hope because they had forgotten that God is in control. They gave up hope because they forgot that God has a plan way beyond their current problems. They... Forgot that God can inject hope into an absolutely, seemingly hopeless situation. They had forgotten all that. They had forgotten that there is a hope that never disappoints. And sometimes our problems are just so immense, so overwhelming, that we forget too. We forget God. One test of our faith as we've been learning is how we handle a crisis. Boy, did I have a tough week. I love preaching messages like last week. Count it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It started on Sunday and still hasn't quite let up. That's okay, though. That's okay, because i got to live it, too. i got to live it, too. One of the tests of our faith is how we handle a crisis. You see, it's easier to live like a Christian when things are going great. Yeah, when our prayers are being answered, our health is good, our income, it's paying the bills, everything's just kind of clicking and we're moving through life, right? Easy to be a Christian, but how do we respond when things look like they're just going to fall apart? How do we respond when we're battered by what seems like impossible problems? How do we handle that? Because that's a test of what's really on our inside. So back to the text. On the 14th night of the storm... They were afraid we would, be soon, we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore, so they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Now, the longest I've been on a ship is nine days. Greg, what's the longest you've been on a ship at sea? Oh, your air base squadron, go Navy, Right. Who has been on a ship for any length of time? Any Navy guys here? How long? Okay, good, good. Well, in my experience, uh, being on a boat for a while and you get into a storm, it can be a little disconcerting. Now understand, these guys were 14 days into this storm not knowing what was going to happen, just being driven along. All hope was gone 14 days in. Think about this. 
And so they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. We'll come back to that in a second. Over the years, I've noticed that often when people encounter major storms in life, they suddenly shift in their thinking, and me included. They want to fix everything else in their lives at the same time. Because there is this sense of hopelessness and everything is out of control, we tend to begin to micromanage everything in our lives, try to fix everyone, try to fix everything in our lives because our life is so hopeless and out of control. And we begin to fix all the things around us. Not a good thing to do. Not a good thing to do. All right? So let's think about this. The situation feels overwhelming, so we just can't stand still. we got to do something, and because uh, this thing is so out of control, this is something I can do. Let's fix things when really what we need to do is put down anchors and just cease and stop for a moment and drop the anchors. Drop the anchor. Works a lot better in life, I'm discovering, Right? Rather than scrambling around trying to fix everything so we get out of this pit, drop the anchor. Drop the anchor. Storms cannot hide our face from God because God is always with us. That is the truth of Scripture. Storms can't change the purpose of God because He alone is sovereign and in control of even the storm. Do you believe that? What? Do you believe it? I do. Even the storm that we're facing right now Storms cannot destroy the child of God because his promises are sure and true. And I'm hanging on to those. Wow. Some of us are going through a devastating crisis right now. I get that. And we rejoice with those who rejoice in our church family. We suffer with those who suffer. And some of you are in some dark valleys. And it's okay because God's there too. He is. Our problems appear overwhelming and we may feel like we're going under for the last time. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. God help me. Understand God says this to us. You may lose the cargo. You may lose the gear of the ship. You might even lose the ship. You might even get wet before it's over, but you're going to make it because of the promises of God. That's what he's saying. I'm not saying it won't be without loss. I'm not saying it won't be without pain. But I am saying we are going to make it because of the promise of God. Let's see how this plays out. So what should we do while we're waiting for the crisis to end? Well, stop fixing everything and everybody, would you? Stop it. Let's do the same thing the sailors did. Drop the anchors. What do we know about anchors? We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks from Hebrews 6. This certain hope of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, connecting us with God himself. And we've looked at this. The early, one of the earliest symbols of the Christianity was an anchor based upon this. Jesus Christ being the anchor for our souls, connecting us with God himself. That is powerful. Well, back to our story. Morning came. The sailors didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. And there they decided, we're going to run the ship aground. 
We've got to get off this thing. This is too much to handle. So they did it. All 276 people jumped overboard and got safely to land. Everybody was spared. Acts 27, 39 to 44. God says, I am with you. He's saying that to you and to me right now. I am with you. And he's with us. He is with us. Storms cannot hide God from you or you from God. God has a plan in this chaos, even in the sense of hopelessness. God is working out something far greater. There's a reason for it all, and you're going to make it safely to land as we cling to the anchor of our soul. He is Jesus. Have hope. Hope does not disappoint. That's what the Apostle Paul said, and we learned last week. Hope does not disappoint. Romans 5, 5, right? Hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Now I'm convinced that a great expression of our hope is found in this table, the communion table. It's a picture of what the giver of hope, Jesus, has done for us. And when we come to the source of hope, whom we learned is God, and the giver of hope, who is Jesus... He is available, and these elements remind us of his availability when our hearts are right. He is the giver of hope. I don't know about you, but I need some hope. I got some situations I'm wrestling with right now. I need some hope. Based right in my own family, all right? I need hope. So I come to Jesus, who is the giver of hope, represented by these symbols. I don't know about you, but I need hope. Hope that does not disappoint and so jesus is here and i want you to know theologically uh, there are some that would say that this is purely symbolic what we do and there is symbolism in receiving communion but i also mean believe it's a means of grace in the sense of we are opening our hearts to jesus we are surrendering to him again And there is significance. This is a holy moment. And we set communion aside just for this. It's extremely important. And so we're also aware that we are not to receive this in an unworthy manner. If we are in open rebellion against God, it's much better to pass on the elements than do something religious that will only compound our hopelessness because we won't hear from God. But this is not a table to exclude us. It's a table of invitation to welcome us. And all are welcome here. But first we must look into our heart and say, God, the source of hope, Jesus, giver of hope, Holy Spirit, the applier of that hope to my specific situation, I welcome you. This is my desire is you, O God. Then all are welcome here. And if there are children here, I I, I remind us again, uh, that's for the parent to decide when the child is ready, but make sure this is more than a religious action. This is a significant moment of connection, connection with Jesus, both you, your family, and our church family together in the body of Christ across the face of this globe. It's a sacred moment. But I'm convinced that God in this moment, as we open our hearts to him, will in fact release the yoke and the bondage of hopelessness 
because he is the giver of hope. And so as we receive these elements, I'm believing him for freedom. Freedom and hope to be poured out. Giver of hope, he is present among us. And he's tapping on each heart right now. Need hope. He's here. And oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves you.